It is Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Loren McNabb back after a couple of days. Hello there, Loren. Good morning, friends. How are we? Doing okay. How are you doing? Ah, blah, whatever. How's that for a response? So how's this for a question? What are you doing here? Like virtually (laughs) or otherwise? Like... Cause like you know how it goes. I was just saying to Fortune, you know how it goes. We're like in that cycle of not feeling well all day long. You're in different phases. Like phase one is like, Ugh, I don't feel good, and then you have some rest. No, oh, I feel a little bit better. And nighttime rolls around. You're like, I could do this. Everything's great. And then you wake up. and You're like, Ugh. and so I don't know. I just thought I'm. I won't come in, but I'll give it a shot. And I I was saying to Fortune, I haven't spoken to anyone since I woke up. So I just feel like I sound worse than I will in two hours because like I haven't talked. Like, who well, am I talking to? You know, Moose doesn't care if I say anything. <laughs> There's a reason why you were feeling better yesterday evening. <laughs> I know, but I stronger. can't continue to, I can't just sleep the life away. So no, here I am. You're not sleeping your life away. You're sleeping the <laughs> sick away. And so anyway, glad to have you here. We're not going to kick you off the air, but if at some point you feel like you're fading, don't hesitate to just uh, go I'll and just cuddle up with, with uh, Moosey over there. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just ghost the show. If you just don't hear me, I'm, it's a full on ghost. Oh, Loren's not there. She's yeah. gone. Ghosting us. All right. That's got my it. signature move most nights anyway. Like whether I'm at someone's house or I just disappear. Hey, sometimes that's the best way to do it, right? Especially yeah. if you, you know, if you're out with friends or I like I remember attending a, a work function. Well, it wasn't a work function, it was just a work it was like a going away party. And uh, I'd had too much and there was one point where I thought, I need to just get out of here now. Forte was there, he remembers. Oh, I was there. And uh, it just yeah, so I I mixed some drinks and I had to leave. I just had to walk away. Like, Do you have a saying for that? Do you have a word for it? Um, I think I used to. Somebody used to use the word ninja. Oh, ninja! Yeah. Uh, the, in Vancouver, uh, we used uh, always on my brother Houdinied. Oh, oh yeah. Where'd Kev go? He Houdinied about eleven last <laughs> night. <laughs> he was there, and then he wasn't. Sure. Now, ghosting's actually not. It's more for if you're in a relationship, right? Yeah. Like if you are, uh, yeah. So I'm using it all wrong anyway. Ah, no, not really. So if I ghost, but we're in a relationship with our listeners and you guys. And so I am <laughs> going to use ghosting this morning if I just suddenly withdraw from all communication with you. Yeah. If you stop answering our text messages, uh, that's, that's prototypical, stereotypical ghosting. All right. So Loren is back and that's great. And we are going to... Actually, I'm really excited for the small... I'm always excited for the small town salute. But today, we're, we're talking tubing? Tubing. This is... So I'm going to uh, share uh, one of my tricks uh, when we're searching for small town salutes. Tourism Manitoba, Travel Manitoba, have a great website where they list out part and parcel different adventures, things you can do in the winter, summer, and the fall. They also have sections on their website where they can tell you about upcoming events around the province. And so I was, you know, scrolling through there and came across this Valley View Bible camp tubing. Never heard of it. Boom, done. Reached out to them, and within an hour, they got back to me. So we'll find out what's going on out near McGregor, Manitoba, and how you can go out enjoy the winter activity that has been popular lots of places uh, i think it's our lack of ski lifts and tow ropes and stuff loren that maybe has had t- tubing maybe a little bit further down on the uh, hit list here in manitoba there's a number of places that you can do it but i feel like it's becoming more popular 
I'm on the website right now for this Valley, Valley View, looking at their tubing hill that's open there. And yeah, I think you're right because part of the challenge is walking back up the that's hill right. after you've had the tremendous slide <laughs> down. You need and you're the like, tech. You need the, like, I don't want to do, I mean, think about it. You don't ski down and walk back up with your skis, but for some reason when we toboggan, we seem to be okay with that. So I'm looking at this right now. Once we get them on, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm thinking they're going to be full right up because they've got a lot of dates that are sold right out for their tubing. So we'll have to get more information on how to get on board. And then you can get on board their lift and not have to walk up that darn hill. There you go. We're going to talk about tubing and tobogganing stories at 645 as well. But, uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a tube once in the winter. The, the hill I used to go to was Crocus Hill in Transcona on right. Redonda. Yeah. I'm not a giant hill. When I was a kid, I thought it was big. But as I drive by it now, it's just more <laughs> like a bump in the – but it was cool. It was fun. Yes. But uh, the tube – I still can't believe how far that thing would slide. It, like it, right to the edge of the park, it was so fast. But they they would always. I think I went through two of them in one winter, and my parents said, "Yeah, we're not doing that again. No more tubes." Well, uh, growing up in the West End, of course, the the dump, Garbage Hill, Westview Park, whatever you like to call it, that was a popular place for tubing and tobogganing. But it had its perils because it had busy streets, mm-hmm. at least one busy street at the bottom of it, and one semi busy street, and then. Uh, Clifton Community Center on the other side. So you had to be discerning about which route you took. And some people just didn't care. And they'd end up in the in the traffic. Really? <laughs> on, on St. James. There's a little bit of a creek, I think, a little bit of a ditch. And so, you know, ultimately a lot of people would end up there. But yeah, people have ended up on St. James Street for sure. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is now why they have these crash fences and such all the way around. It's, it's, it's a fun activity. We love our tobogganing and our tubing here. So more on that at 645. And then once again, the Small Town Salute is at 735. Every Thursday at 735, we do our Small Town Salute. And then after Global News at 7 o'clock, Loren, are we going back to just old-fashioned pencil and paper for to take tests? Well, that's what they're doing in some universities in Australia because they found that too many students are using artificial intelligence to help them write essays or even do exams. And so they're trying to find a workaround to prevent students from using AI to essentially cheat. And this isn't like old school plagiarism like we might be familiar with where you cut and paste, excuse me, something from an encyclopedia, which would have been my days in high school, right? Or you take an article and you go into the internet and you find an answer and then you take sections of that for your paper. There's software that can detect plagiarism. What the AI is is it's you basically say you have a hypothesis. You go to the software and say, like, this is my hypothesis. What would the answer be? And it helps you come up with an answer. And so it's a a different kind of cheating that now universities are struggling to figure out how to fight back against. So we're going to visit with the University of Manitoba about what they're watching for. And I spoke with the woman we'll be speaking to at 7, and this is very much on their radar as t- in terms of an issue, a challenge, and also maybe something they can learn from because not all AI is bad. But if you've got a kid in school or you're about to get out the door to university or college this morning, you're going to want to tune in at 7.07. Yeah, this is fascinating stuff. Just... If I wanted to cheat in school, I just had to sit beside somebody who was smarter than me so I could copy them. Now, now, we know that you were the cheaty, <laughs> not the cheater Brett, I, in I, high school. I did help somebody cheat in grade uh, nine, I think it was. They cheated on my, they copied my exam. We 
talked about this a little bit yesterday. And just to follow up here, because Winnipeg police are warning about a fentanyl-based drug referred to as Down. This warning comes after officers revived a man believed to be overdosing on the drug in a bus shelter on Graham Avenue Monday night. The sad reality is this is nothing new for first responders, and these types of calls are only becoming more frequent. Global's Marnie Blunt reports. It's dangerous, deadly, and all too common on Winnipeg streets. Fentanyl on its own uh, is pretty lethal, uh, but fentanyl now is being uh, mixed and cut with all kinds of other drugs, and so uh, there's everything. Down a fentanyl-based opioid fueling Winnipeg's drug crisis. Advocates say it's the drugs mixed or cut with fentanyl or carfentanyl that are the fatal force behind multiple overdose deaths. If you're a drug user out there these days, uh, you really don't know what you're using. Uh, it really is a polysubstance uh, drug environment out there, and it's a particularly lethal environment. Marion Willis says Down took hold when the pandemic began, pushing out crystal meth as the drug of choice in the city. Within literally weeks, uh, we became, we were introduced to what we initially called pink down, then purple down, and then since then there's been brown down. Some rehab advocates describe it as a loaded bullet, circulating more and more in the city in recent months, and with it, taking more lives. It's everywhere, and it's devastating. I think my, my head, body count is up to 102 since the beginning of COVID of people I've worked with or their families. And it has the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service run off its feet. It is a problem uh, within the community uh, as far as the number of cases we're seeing and responding to. And in many cases, down requires more doses of naloxone to reverse the effects and save a life, as the drug lowers consciousness and the ability to breathe. When we see that that is the risk to their life, is that they stop breathing and they become unconscious, uh, or they become unconscious and risk a fall uh, and injuring themselves that way. Winnipeg police previously didn't track how many times officers gave out naloxone, but that is about to change. As of this week, WFPS will now be tracking when police officers give out naloxone to an overdose patient before paramedics arrive on scene. Marty Blunt, Global News. So you heard Marty there talking about the use of that life-saving antidote to fentanyl, which is naloxone. And last year, the WFPS, they gave out naloxone more than 2,000 times, an average of about six times, almost six times per day, they're handing out naloxone. And now they're going to track how often police are doing this. And I was telling you guys earlier this week about how I was coming into work, driving down Goulet around 4.15 a.m. on Monday. I was just past Taché, and I saw something at a bus stop that made me turn around. There was a man standing there with his hands in his air and someone lying on the street. And I wasn't sure what's going on, so I turned around, I rolled back, I yelled out, what's what's happening can I help? And he immediately said, do you have naloxone? So he knew this person. He knew that they had maybe taken fentanyl and this person was in serious trouble. This woman, another person ran across the street to help. They started CPR. I called 911. Police were honestly there in less than a minute. It was super quick. And I do believe they administered naloxone at the time. I didn't ask to confirm, but they something, you know, there was an intervention taking place. And I don't know the outcome here because the ambulance then eventually arrived and, and I don't know if that was a life saved Monday morning because of naloxone or a life lost. But I can't stop thinking about this woman because, first of all, naloxone might have been the difference maker if someone nearby had had it more quickly. Um, I can't stop thinking about the fact that 
what led her down the path to taking fentanyl in the first place, guys? What was going on in her life? And I keep thinking that we've been talking about this drug now and how it's taking a hold on hundreds, if not thousands of Winnipeggers for years. And the numbers keep getting worse. None of the numbers show any signs of improvement. Not for, you know, yes, we're saving lives with naloxone. Great. Growing number of people still doing fentanyl. So the, the, there has to be some other conversation taking place. We had a meth crisis. Are we getting ready to call it a fentanyl crisis now, Greg? Well, this is the reaction. Without the proactive uh, systems, without the proactive programs to prevent people from from turning to drugs in the first place, this is what we're going to see. And the resources. When you, I mean, I'm a numbers guy. I can't imagine the economic impact, uh, the number of hours that are drawn out of the WFPS service to to administer over 2,000 separate overdose incidents. Think about the percentage that that must represent and the overall amount of time that uh, the WFPS uh, spends interacting with the public, helping save their lives. And then the economic impact of of addiction in the first place is, uh, it's astronomical if it's even calculable. So... uh, we can talk about all the extraordinary programs that that are in the in the community in order to respond to this, but what are we doing to prevent it in the first place? It's got to be essential. We've got to be looking at that. We've got to be exploring it because uh, you can't arrest your way out of it, and you're not going to naloxone your way out of it either. Because people are going to they're going to die from this. Well, we have. Growing, sorry, Brett, we have also learned this week that the city of Winnipeg has trained more of its people on how to administer naloxone, for example, in libraries or workers in pools or, you know, recreation facilities. And that's all great because that can react and save a life. But how, how did that person get there in the first place is, is, I think, the bigger point we're all trying to make here, Brett. 643 with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. You can read more on Marnie's story at cjob.com or globalnews.ca. I think I remember I was, I was thinking it was right outside this building. You were at 201 Portage one day in the summer. I was outside mm-hmm. vaping, and this young guy, normal-looking guy, walks up to me and just casually says, do you have any down? And I said, what? Do you have any down? I'm like, oh, uh, it took me a second to f- remember what he was talking about. I'm like, oh, my, uh, no, sorry, man. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any illicit narcotics on my person. Um, but, yeah, to just walk up to somebody and ask if they got any drugs, like, it's just, it was a kind of a jarring moment. Compare that to 30 years ago, 40 years ago when we were growing up and coming downtown to buy records or go to the arcade. Do you have any weed? Do you want to buy some weed? That was about the extent of it. And now here we are these deadly drugs, people wandering around asking random strangers, hey, have you got any of this? We are going to talk about winter tubing. So let's talk about that right now. Winter tubing, tobogganing, sledding. You got a story? Of course you got a story. Hope, Well, hopefully you got a story. It would make me sad if... You never got on a, had an opportunity to go tobogganing, um, even, even if it's just on a little hill like Crocus Hill in Transcona, where I did when I was growing up. Had lots of fun there. So let's go around the horn here, and you can text us at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win those passes. 
Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you, sir? When I was a kid, the elementary school in Altona was that I went to was it was brand new. Like it it opened the year before I started kindergarten, and they had this beautiful uh, new playground that the Elks Hall uh, guys had built for us. It was just kind of a state of the art thing for the early '80s. But they also had leftover from construction, I assume, a giant hill of dirt that we love to play on, the dirt hill, the hill, we called it. And in the winter, of course, it was covered with snow, and then we bring our crazy carpets to school, and we go sliding down that hill all through the lunch hour, just go down, get back in line, go back up, and come back down again. And uh, that was that was most of the sledding I did, and, uh, you know, down in that part of Manitoba, that's about the biggest hill you could find for miles and miles and miles. So it, uh, it hit the spot. We just loved the uh, – thinking back on it, it seems weird that, you know, we just had a hill of dirt was our favorite thing to play on, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gotta yeah. make your own fun. Well, first yeah. of all, that's so cool that you had the opportunity to do that during your school lunch. Like, I had to make a special trip to go to the Toboggan Hill, so that's awesome. And second, that was always the best stuff. Like, when, when the plow crews would come in and clear all the snow and they'd build up the big hill, uh, snow hills in the middle of the school field, and we'd all, I mean, inevitably, we'd start pushing each other off. and then the Yeah, king of the hill, of course. Yeah. King of the Hill somebody and the Neckart Band, and you weren't allowed to play on the hill because somebody broke their ankle. <laughs> Smashed their head or whatever it was. Um, Loren, what about you? Okay, so I can't say the place because it was on private property and it wasn't my property. <laughs> and I'm not going to get too much into the story because it involved a group of us using my dad's truck to hike up and down a hill in the valley not far from Minnedosa, although he's aware of this story. I just, so I don't know. I, but either we'll stand out as the night of the best tobogganing ever. First of all, we had the transportation, so we didn't have to climb the hill. The moon was full. It was bright. It was just a group of teenagers having a night of innocent fun. And it involved, I just thought of this seriously this morning when you brought this up, it involved a side of Lemur because it was 29 years ago this month in that night of tobogganing that a certain boy and girl expressed they may have had a crush on one another. And you know what? We're still married. So oh tobogganing and love. I just thought of that this morning. Tobogganing and love. Oh, Next year's Hallmark Christmas Greg. story. Exactly. <laughs> Who said it first? Who said I like you first? Oh, I was, was just it I like think like? I, you know, I can remember walking and he wasn't far behind. And I think I was talking loud enough with a girlfriend so that he would hear me say. Oh, oh classic. Oh. That's, yeah. yeah that's I'd, I have to. I'd you have say to that as him. though there's a chance you could have been talking quietly enough. <laughs> yeah. Lost, <laughs> 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 Oh, That's a wonderful story, Loren. That's yeah. awesome. It's very sweet. You want to follow that one, Cam? Uh, sure. Well, you know, sure. I mean, like we used to go, the place that we toboggan was, was in East Kildonan, uh, right by, uh, uh, KE high school. That's where we would go in the, the, the hill there. That was a great spot. Also when I was growing up, we would probably go most of the time to Silver Fox in East St. Paul. And that's where we would go down. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty good. That's still good. Oh, that's a great place. That's a great spot. The pits, right? Oh, the pits. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The pits. That's all you call it. Just yeah, head into the pits. Um, I never got a GT racer, so I'm, Mom, if you're listening right now, you deprive me of a big part of my childhood. Never got the GT racer, so thanks a lot. Um, just kidding. But um, but we all, I always had the best on the crazy carpet. And the most fun uh, was wiping out. I always loved wiping out. Like, you, you hit the snow, you roll around. You, I mean, you got, like, a bunch of snowsuits on. But, like, I, I remember, like, actually hitting, like, one of those jumps and stuff and then wiping out and rolling around. I always thought that was a lot of fun. I, I, I enjoyed that. I, I tried to wipe out. Have you tobogganed like lately as an adult? 
I was just thinking that like you had this boundless energy to run up that hill every single time. And now it would be like I would I don't know how many times I'd be able to go up. Like as we go with the kids, it's exhausting, yeah, but yeah. also going down, like it's, there's something going on with the adult right now and it just, every bump feels just like a punch to the head, you oh, know, yeah. it's, it's way harder than it Well, you rebound, you rebound so quickly as a kid, like you just, you, you wipe out and you're like, all right, I'm going back up and now I'd be like, lie there for like 10 seconds or something, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. when you're a kid, you wipe out, you lay on the ground, you go, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and then you jump up and you run back up the hill as an adult. Call the ambulance! <laughs> uh, what about you, Mackling? Oh, gosh. Uh, those crazy carpets. I want to know what the profit margin was on those. It oh. probably cost about 50 cents each to make and sold <laughs> them for nine ninety nine. Oh god! I yeah. want in on that. So the dump forever in the West End. And yes, it was Empress that you could potentially end up on, not on St. James Street. Thanks to one of our listeners for reminding me of that. In uh, Brandon at River Heights School, because it was an underground school, we actually, our playground was on the roof, and you could slide down the side of the school, which mm-hmm. was a ton of fun. Uh, Truro Park in St. James would go there uh, when I was older, Cinnaboyne Park. But the best was Kildonan Park back in the day. They had the big toboggan slide, and mm-hmm. I'm talking big, and it would go down on the creek. And I remember going there with beavers and cubs. We'd go from the West End. It would be our big winter outing to go to KP, to go to Kildonan Park, not to Kildonan Place, mm-hmm. and go on the toboggan run. And you'd get like... Like from basically the pavilion all the way to the witch's hut on the creek. And it was absolutely incredible. I don't know why they ever stopped building that. Somebody must have seriously been injured. But bar none, the best tobogganing ever. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that sounds super fun. Uh, what about you, Forge, eh? For me, this was like, I don't know, seven years ago. So I was like, you know, early to mid-20s. Me and my friends went tobogganing at Kilcona Hill. Uh, it's on Lajemodier there. And uh, <laughs> so my buddy, we bought these little plastic saucers and my buddy he's a bigger guy and he's uh on the saucer and he hits a bump and this thing just shattered into pieces oh no and he's starfish you know he's just on his back just starfishing after he hits this bump and the thing explodes and it was hilarious to watch (laughs) didn't did he he didn't stab himself with it did he oh no 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 he was fine but then uh, i'm going down and uh my other friend alex she was at the bottom and she's Walking up, and I'm going down, and I'm telling you, I'm like a heat-seeking missile. <laughs> I'm going straight for her, and she's trying to get out of the way. Every every direction she went, that's where I was going, and I have no control. <laughs> I'm on this stupid saucer. And so I'm going, and I take her down at the legs. Just boom! Oh, no. She went flipping over me. She's fine. We were all fine. We laughed about it, but <laughs> you have no control. Absolutely no control. I remember those saucers. Yeah, they were fast. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. Tell us a story of toboggan adventures, whether it's a tube you're on, a GT snow racer, a crazy carpet, a saucer, or... Sliding like into love. <laughs> the hallmark <laughs> name for my love story, Brett. <laughs> Slide into love. Perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> In a moment, we're going to tell you about how university students are cheating in a way that I never would have thought of when I was in my scholastic days. But before that, a reminder that we are asking you to tell us a story about tubing, tobogganing, sledding, because that's what we're doing for our small town salute at 735. What does Melanie say? Texting about a unique product from Winnipeg's own KTEL, Brett. Hey, look. Here comes a super slider. Whip, whiz, whistle, whiz. Super slider snow skates. <laughs> 
just fit them on your boots. It's easy to be a super mm -hmm. slider. Tough plastic snow skates. They're wild. Wow. You can really... And you can really... <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh... That was a dangerous uh, product. Super slider snow skates. And Melanie says, I'm lucky to be alive to this day. I think the only thing that saved me was that we lived in Gillum and there weren't really any hills there. Oh, man. That's a creepy ad, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes it was. Super slider. <laughs> Are they from the Slytherin house? Tell us a story for a chance to win those passes for the renovation show. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. So if you are getting ready for a university or college class this morning, or know someone who is, you're going to want to pay attention to this next interview. Yeah, so it was inspired by an Australian news story, but in conversations with our next guest, I quickly learned of the growing concern in Canada and, and Manitoba. So here's the headline that got us going. It comes from The Guardian, and it says, Australian universities to return to pen and paper exams after students caught using AI to write essays with the article saying schools in Australia have been forced to change the way they do things amid fears students are using emerging artificial intelligence software to essentially cheat. Dr. Brenda Stace is a senior faculty specialist at the Centre for the Advancement of Teaching and Learning at the University of Manitoba. We say good morning to Brenda. Hello. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start off with the AI software. How does it work? Well, essentially, it's a computer program that generates text or images or video uh, based on questions that are provided to it. And so one can uh, think of it as a computer program generating a novel or an article or some kind of an, an assignment based on the questions we ask it. That's just phenomenal. I'm thinking back to the days of going to the library and you had to go through the card catalog to even maybe find a book that could help you to maybe get an article that might give you a paragraph or two for an essay that you were writing. So the benefit of technology, Dr. Stace, is obviously clear and evident, but now we've just gone to this other side where, where it's actually gotten to the point where you might be in a class, you might be producing outstanding work, but not have any idea how you did it. Yeah, that's true. And that's one of the problems of using this kind of technology is, uh, are we offloading some of our thinking, um, the tasks to technology, and then not engaging with the learning or with the material, the content ourselves in order to learn more about the topic or gain more skills? And so that, that's really uh, the concern, I think, that instructors at the University of Manitoba have and around the world have about this kind of uh, emerging technology where do, so how do these students access this artificial intelligence while they're writing their exam? Well, writing their exam at this point, if it's a you know, closed book exam in a room where they don't have access to technology or computer, uh, that wouldn't be a problem, right? So these technologies are available online. They're kind of incorporated into a lot of the things that we're already using in terms of um, our email programs, our, our uh, text um, uh, processing uh, software like Word. And so um, students would have access to this kind of software on the internet. So for example, OpenAI is one uh, company that launched a, a, a software called ChatGTP, GPT in uh, December. And uh, it's as simple as creating an account, logging in, and then starting to play around with what the technology can do for you. I, I think I've read with that one you just referenced, that chat one, I think even in New York, there's some schools that have talked about 
manning that type of software. And so what are you watching specifically here of you at the U of M when you look at what's going on in Australia with changing the way they do things? Is there going to be a move similar here or is it more just about figuring out how to use this software for both good and also prevent the bad? Yeah, I think right now um, there's a range of uh, responses that people are uh, having to this software. So ranging all the way from uh, major concerns about the software, students are going to use it to cheat, um, and assessments, it won't be clear using assessments whether or not students have actually learned. So some institutions around the world are um, moving back to paper pencil uh, sorts of exams and assignments um, so that students are not having the, a computer in front of them to access this kind of technology so that they can understand really what the students are learning. But there is also um, a number of, of people who are interested in how we can use this kind of technology in the classroom to help students maybe uh, go through an assignment at various stages and help them through some of the sticking points uh, in their learning to get them to the next step in their learning. So there's quite a range of, of responses to this, and that's really where at the University of Manitoba we need to have some conversations about what will be acceptable use of this technology, if at all, and uh, what faculty need in terms of support if they were to choose not to have, not to allow students to use this in the classroom or to, or to allow students to use this in the classroom. And there's lots of um, considerations and implications that need to be um, uh, discussed and uh, decisions need to be made about how to move forward. Dr. Stace, uh, back in my day, uh, the audible gasp in the room when you, you found someone that was using the Coles Notes versions <laughs> of a novel, that was, that was the extent of, of, of sort of cheating, at least in literature and in English, uh, back in, quote unquote, the day. And this is obviously uh, ultimate predictive texting. But I can remember teachers, I can remember instructors and coaches saying, you're only cheating yourself. And is that the ultimate message here? Is that, uh, yeah, you can get some good grades here, but, but ultimately we want you to learn something uh, while you're in our institution. Yeah, I think the most important thing is to discuss with students what it means to act with integrity in their academic work. Um, we want them to learn. We want them to have the skills they need so that when they uh, leave and graduate you know, universities and colleges and any post-secondary, that um, they go to their employers with the, the real skills that their employers are expecting um, from them. And so if um, students are taking shortcuts and uh, bypassing some of those learning steps, they will be at a disadvantage later in life. And, and that's a real shame. So we want to encourage students to um, be really engaged in their learning, take advantage of the fact that they have these learning opportunities in post-secondary, and, um, and, and really understand um, the, the area of study that, that they have chosen to undertake so that uh, they can be productive citizens in society. Dr. Brenda Stace, Senior Faculty Specialist at the Centre for the Advancement of Teaching and Learning at the University of Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate this. Thank you. And if you want to learn more about this, just Google Chat GPT Cheating. And you'll get, uh, uh, there's like dozens of, of stories and results here. I had no idea this was a thing. No. This is wild stuff. So thanks for spotting this, Loren, because <laughs> this is crazy. And not just another... Have we learned nothing from science fiction about artificial intelligence? <laughs> it's always a problem. Come on it, now. 
here's the thing. I mean, it's really a good point you just made at the end, Greg, right? Like you think you're getting a better grade, but then are you emerging out of school even knowing what you're doing? If you haven't come up with half of it yourself, that's the truly concerning part with any form of cheating, right? That you didn't really know what you were doing to begin with. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we're asking you to tell us a story about tobogganing, whether it was on a toboggan or a tube or GT snow race or whatever. There's one at uh, the Red River Campus in Notre Dame. <laughs> one of our listeners saying, when we attended our RCC, we would borrow trays from the lunchroom and go tray-bogganing. Excellent. <laughs> on the giant hills in the parking lot during our breaks. <laughs> That's just, I love it, tray-bogganing. That's tremendous. And Michaela says, my brother used to hook up my GT snow racer to the back of our old Ford Taurus and whip me around the farmyard. Super safe, I know, LOL, says Michaela, but adds super fun. Oh, the things he did as kids. We used to have what was called a snow prince. It was a skidoo, and we'd put the toboggan on the back of that because the snow prince didn't go very fast. And uh, that was like the best to be pulled behind that on a toboggan. Just snow whipping in your face and just screaming through the stubble as you went through the fields. I loved it. Yeah, basically kneeboarding or, or tubing yeah. in the wintertime. Sounds yeah. fun. Like the wake of the water yeah. or the wake of the snowmobile hitting you with some snow yeah oh man i gotta go tobogganing again i think there might still be one in my dad's garage i'm warning you brett it's not as simple as it used to be i know i'm I'm just just, you're welcome to come we try to do it monday nights you can come on out yeah the idea of walking walking back up the hill doesn't seem all that appealing to me at this point it's not just that you hit a bump i'm telling you at our age and it feels like you're like am i concussed Did I just die? <laughs> did, I just have, did I just give myself a concussion on the toboggan? Coincidence that Tuesday you called in sick after Monday there, night tobogganing. There you go. Small Town Salute coming up in just a moment. But before that, a reminder that we are giving away passes for the Winnipeg Renovation Show happening this weekend at RBC Convention Center. And we are asking you to tell us a story about tobogganing. It doesn't have to be a toboggan. It could be a saucer. It could be a crazy carpet. It could be a tube, which is what we're going to discuss in just a moment. Or it could be the GT Snow Racer like Brett and Selkirk. He says, bought each of our boys uh, three AT snow racers for Christmas. Oh, yeah, GT. I just uh, read what was there. (laughs) On Boxing Day, we headed over the Selkirk Golf Course, gee whiz, uh, Golf Course Hill for an afternoon of sliding. At some point, while loads of kids were having a blast, a woman came over to me and told me to take those fast and dangerous sliding machines somewhere else. Now, I really have to question whether or not the GTs were faster than the crazy carpets her kids were flying down on. What I found ridiculous is a GT has a steering wheel and brakes. The crazy carpet, once you push off, it's a nonstop flight to the bottom, and hopefully you're pointed in the right direction, or it's an unscheduled game of human bowling. I wanted to ask how she felt about a car with no steering or brakes, but I held back. Anyway, not sure if uh, she found another hill, but... uh, we didn't see her again. That, I, I, I always wondered if people uh, used the hills at the Selkirk Golf Course for tobogganing. There are a couple of spots on that course that look super fun. Uh, I kind of want to roll down those hills even when I'm playing there. So Hey, 
People will use any hill they can find. Don't you love that time of year when the snow piles in the parking lots get big enough that you see kids on them? Or I've noticed snow piles like by the ditch and they use both the snow pile and the ditch just to get an extra bit of hill. It's maybe three meters tall, maybe. Yeah. And everyone's pumped to get on it. Like, so you desperate. You use what you can. So desperate. Two or more for speed. 204-780-6868. Tell us a story about tobogganing for a chance to win. Those passes will pick a winner at 915. In the meantime, producer Jeff Forte. Every Thursday, just after 730, it's our small town salute. And as we look forward to another stretch of its great to be outside weather, over the past week or so, we have been discussing the reasons we get outside in the middle of January. Whether it's skating on the river or maybe ice racing and Bozier with the Winnipeg Sports Car Club, cross-country skiing in Beaudry Park. Thank you, Buck Pierce. Yesterday, we discussed the state of snowmobile trails in Manitoba. And this morning, Loren, we want to learn about a place where you can get on the snow and move pretty fast without an engine. So we're going to head west down the Trans-Canada to the Valley View Bible Camp and say good morning to Program Director Michael Bergen. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. So first, whereabouts are you? Where is the Valley View Bible Camp? Yeah, we're uh, about five miles straight south of McGregor, Manitoba, which is just off the number one highway. And McGregor just west of Portage. That's right. Yeah, about half an hour west of Portage. Okay, so tell us about your tubing hill. Sure. It's, um, it's a pretty neat uh, opportunity we have here as a, as, a summer, as a summer camp to offer something in the wintertime. Our Tubing Hill is a, a fully functioning recreation attraction in Manitoba. We have a, a lift system that takes you up the hill, so laziness is encouraged. And uh, we, have, um, we provide tubes, and you, basically you come out here, and it's a, it's a full-service full service attraction. You come with your family, you slide down the hill, you get a lift up, and you can warm up in our chalet. Uh, you can buy some stuff at the canteen and just really enjoy your time uh, over those weekends uh, during the winter months. How high is this hill, or how tall is it? That's a great question. Uh, I don't know that I've ever measured our, our complete elevation, um, but I know that our, our lift system is just over 1,200 feet long, I believe, uh, or that's what our rope used to measure. Um, so uh, it's, it's a decent-sized hill. Uh, from, a, from a Manitoba perspective, uh, it's about as mountainous as you get. Yeah, Brett and I are sort of looking at each other wide-eyed, 1,200 feet. Wasn't expecting that uh, statistic, Michael. So thanks for, for sharing that. So I imagine you can get some pretty good speed going uh, on your hill. Yeah, I won't, uh, I won't disclose any official numbers because nothing's been verified uh, uh, you know, by, by official timekeepers, uh, but it's, uh, it's, a good, it's a good clip, especially as uh, the, the conditions get um, more slick uh, as the year kind of wears on. It's, it's, a good, it's a good fun run, that's for sure. So I'm looking online at valueviewbiblecamp.com, and you've got the tubing hill schedule up there, and you, you prefer bookings, right, to book in advance instead of just showing up? Is that how it works? Yeah, that's right. We're, we're a bit old school here at camp, but we've had to kind of adapt at the times, and so we've, uh, we've chosen to kind of stick with an online advanced booking-only kind of structure, and it works great because uh, for us, we're able to kind of get a better picture of how we can best accommodate our guests and for, for you guys, or for those that wish to come, uh, it gives you the assurance that you're coming with a, a guaranteed spot, um, that you know that your sliding time is going to be um, enjoyable and uh, safe and, and, and fun for the whole family. So it's, it seems to be a good mix, and, and we're happy with the system we have set up. 
Just looking at your website as well, and there's a, in the frequent, frequently asked questions, uh, somebody's asked, are pets allowed? Because I know like, a lot of people like to bring their pets to, to frolic in the snow. Can you bring your pet? We love our furry friends, but we do encourage uh, uh, groups and, and families not to bring their pets. We have a few, uh, we have a few of our own, and uh, we've trained them as best we can to respect the tubing hill and, and what's going on there. Uh, but we ask that you, you find alternate accommodations for your pets while you come out for uh, some tubing. So what days are you open, uh, Michael, and how can people uh, book their, their scheduled visit? Right. So uh, during the winter season, we're open every weekend to the public, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, so we're open uh, starting Friday evening at 6 o'clock, and we run right through till Sunday evening. Uh, you can book your time slot at tubinghill.ca. We have a, a calendar there that you can check out all the different uh, time slots available uh, we're just going to be releasing our February times here uh, next week, Monday. And so uh, there's lots of options for you. You can see how many spots are left available in that time slot. Uh, you can coordinate with your friends and, and uh, book a time that hopefully will be unforgettable on the Manitoba Prairies. Now, can you bring your, like if you wanted to bring a different kind of sled, does that have to be a tube? No, we, we also say that we, we take care of everything for you. So you, you basically have to bring yourself, uh, your snacks, and uh, uh, a, a fun attitude. Okay, well, it sounds like fun. And again, the yeah. website, valleyviewbiblecamp.com or tubinghill.ca will take you there as well. Hey, thanks a lot for joining us this morning. This sounds like a blast. Yeah, it's, it's no problem. You know, it's always a privilege to be able to let Manitobans know what we're doing out here. It's, it's a lot of word of mouth, but we've, uh, we've seen a lot of growth over the years, and it's, uh, it's a great way to sustain our, our summer ministry. We're a nonprofit, and so the Tubing Hill is a unique part of what we do. Uh, basically, and that money gets poured directly into... Uh, to the other work that we do here throughout the year, specifically with children and youth, and especially the, uh, those that have uh, uh, high-risk um, lifestyles. And so we're, we're really happy to be able to use this as a resource uh, to fund some of other nonprofit endeavors. So it's a, it's, a great, it's a great opportunity for us. All right, great to take a stroll, take a run, take a slide down the Trans-Canada <laughs> Highway to McGregor. Michael Bergen, he's the Program Director at Valley View Bible Camp. Thanks for this, Michael. Great to meet you. It's no problem at all. Thanks for the opportunity. And once again, that website, you can either do tubinghill.ca or valleyviewbiblecamp.com. They'll they'll both take you to the same site. But yeah, just looking at the pictures of this, this looks super, super fun. And uh, the fact that he he encouraged laziness. Yeah, bring nothing. Just show up with maybe your mitts and your toque and your ski pants. And they've got you taken care of. I love this. Yeah, this is a good one, Macklin. Good find. Valley View Bible Camp, west of Portage La Prairie, about a half hour west of Portage La Prairie. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Just after 7 o'clock, we were talking about Artificial intelligence and how university students are using it to cheat on exams and assignments. And we are asking you to provide us some feedback on that at 204-780-6868. What does this uh, listener say to us, Loren? Well, the conversation was about the fact that they're using it to maybe write essays, that you can use this software to put in a question and it will turn out the answer. And so it's not that you're plagiarizing text. It's just that the computer's coming up with the actual text that you might use in an answer or use in an essay. And so Australian universities are actually changing the way they do exams and essays, maybe going back to pen and paper because they're concerned that, you know, this, the kids aren't learning the right way. And this listener says, I think it depends on the subject. 
in science, it's very important to have a thorough knowledge of how to use it. In some of the other areas of learning, perhaps it's more important to know how to find information. And if AI helps in getting answers, say, to a history question, then great, as far as this listener is concerned. They say, for example, if a reporter requires background information for an article, it's not expected that they would remember everything about the topic. So it's important that they know how to use AI to obtain information. The old AI used to be newspaper articles or encyclopedias. Modern AI is a computer. And I, I think there's some good points in there, Greg. I think, I think the question becomes in a broader scale, all this technology can be great to help you learn. It's how we're using it. And we often have talks about, you know, even just Googling things itself, does that limit that person's ability to critically think or to analyze or be more analytical in a situation if the answer is just at their fingertips rather than stopping for a second and saying, can I come up with this myself? If you're turning to the computer too often, we might be losing a bit of that critical thinking. I agree with you. And I agree with this listener to a certain extent with regard to the ability to find the information is is every bit as important as retaining it. And often retaining it isn't critical in any way, shape or form. But when it comes to young people, I, you know, I've got two different learners in my house, one who kind of needs to know why he's learning what he's learning and how it's applicable and in real life. And then he gets really good grades on those papers, on those tests, when he understands how the, uh, the, the, the concept applies to real life. And then I got another memorizer in my house who can memorize just about anything. But then when you quiz him a couple weeks later about it and have a discussion, yeah, I don't really remember any of that, even though it was just a couple of weeks ago. And so Brett, I think a lot of us know somebody that was was good at memorizing stuff, but retaining it and, and regurgitating it, not so much. I learned very little. I hate to say it, but I, I, I shouldn't say very little, but I didn't learn nearly as much as I should have in school because what I did learn was that I was good at tests. So mm. I, I was the, the memorizer. I would memorize up to 20 pages of notes. I'd go into, a, a, I remember like a grade eight science exam, for example, and I just verbatim, yeah. Every question, I would just write it out as I remembered it from my notes, and I'd I'd ace the test. Mm. And two weeks later, gone. Like as soon as I as soon as I had handed in that test, gone. I just I, I no longer needed to know that stuff, and so I learned nothing in in a lot of cases, and I and I am regretful. I know uh, I've heard the saying, Loren, about the idea of learning or studying the course to the test based on the test versus learning the subject. Uh, is there necessarily a problem with that? I guess it just depends on what you're studying to this listener's point and what you're trying to learn. Like, I wouldn't want to know that someone just memorized the, the human body, for example, as a doctor, but did not know how one connected to the other and therefore why something wrong at point A was leading to something wrong at point B, right? Like, you, you, it just depends on, on what the subject is. But more than that, I think what's happening right now, you know, we're, as we evolve, we're trying to find ways to use technology for good. And then inevitably, somebody also figures out how to use technology for bad. And to get back to this idea of critical thinking, you know, I'm even thinking about kids in school now when they do bibliographies and they have to have the where, what was their source when they write an essay on a certain topic. And are we even teaching them what a good source is? Because it used to just be the encyclopedia or the textbooks you used. And now you have this plethora of information on the internet. So who's to say what's even being churned out <laughs> is correct. Like there's all, my mind's going a lot of spaces, but we have to not just teach kids how to, to critically think, but then to think about 
what they've just heard and whether or not that sounds right or wrong and then where the source was and who it was. I mean, you can go a lot of places. Yeah, uh, Wikipedia, not necessarily the best source, but I bet you it's easily the most commonly used one, at least to start for most uh, young people when they're in school. Probably not in university, but I suspect in grades 7 through 11 or 12, that's probably where they start. If you want to learn more about this, by the way, just Google Chat GPT <laughs> cheating. This is for good. Because <laughs> yeah, you'll find just a, dozens of, of reports and links to, to learn more about how this artificial intelligence is being used in rather creative ways that, that we just could not have possibly imagined when we were in school uh, some 20, 25, 30, however many years ago. <laughs> Our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. It's a hard hitter today, Mackling. We're asking the tough question at cjob.com. What's your vehicle of choice for tobogganing? An old-fashioned wooden toboggan? A tube? Crazy carpet? Saucer? GT snow racer? Or other? Cast your vote at cjob.com and continue to tell us your stories about tobogganing, tubing, for a chance to win Winnipeg Road Innovation Show passes. We're giving uh, those passes away just after 9.15. And before we get into this luggage story, uh, Loren, I mean, Jeff Braun's been been uh, telling us as his top story, we're going to get some, hopefully some maybe answers on the, all the delays that were experienced over the holidays as far as travel goes. We might get some answers, but the might answer just might be, well, it was the weather and there wasn't much we could do because the House of Commons Transport Infrastructure and Communities Committee, it's looking into these delays that occurred over the holidays, but we also had delays back in the summer as travel was kicking off. And so it's calling in the executives, the head bosses of Sunwing, Air Canada, WestJet, etc., to try to figure out what go, what went on. And you can bet most of them are going to say, like, look, we just had some really bad weather. But the question I would ask this morning is, well, is there something else that government can do to better protect travelers? Are, are there more regulations that could be put in place or rules around, you know, compensation or kickbacks? Because it feels like every every single day now we're getting some sort of travel story that's not just impacting, you know, your vacation, but impacting you weeks or months after you took a trip, like the one we're about to tell you about. Indeed, as incidents of lost luggage exploded last year, an increasing number of travelers are using a tiny piece of technology to keep track of their belongings. An Air Canada customer in Victoria, B.C. says he's angry and frustrated by the lack of effort by the airline to retrieve his lost luggage after he tracked it down using an Apple AirTag. Global's Ann Drua brings us more of the story. When Victoria resident and Air Canada passenger Paul Clifford arrived home from Mexico and his luggage didn't show up at the baggage carousel in Vancouver, he turned to his AirTag and tracked it down on his phone. In fact, when he contacted Air Canada, he thought the AirTag might assist the airline in locating his bag. Instead, the lost luggage ended up even farther away. Paul Clifford and his wife Helen have spent close to seven weeks trying to retrieve their lost luggage. Trouble is, they've located their bag, but they say they can't get help from Air Canada. If something goes wrong, you'd expect that they would take care of you. After hearing countless reports of airlines losing luggage, the Victoria couple thought they would invest in an Apple AirTag, a wireless tracking device that can attach to several items, including checked bags. 
The technology was put to the test this past November when the couple was returning home from Mexico City. When they landed in Vancouver before departing to Victoria, Paul's wife checked their air tag on their phone. And it said our bag was 4,000 kilometers away, which didn't sound good. It wasn't. The bag was still sitting at Mexico City International Airport. Paul said he contacted Air Canada and opened a claim right away. He says he was told he would have his bag in a short period of time. Well, my bag never arrived. Again, reiterated that there was nothing they could do except send a, a note to Mexico City. Two weeks went by and Paul and his wife were in for a shock. When the couple checked the location of their air tag, it indicated the bag was now at the International Airport in Madrid, Spain. How can this happen? Paul says he continued to call Air Canada with no results. They would escalate the file up to a more important stage and I would be contacted in 48 hours. That never happened. Consumer Matters reached out to Air Canada on Paul's behalf. Air Canada expressing its regret, stating in part, Given the time that has now passed without success recovering the baggage, we have advised the customer we are moving to compensation. The claim is currently being processed and we will be following up directly with the customer. After that response, we sent Air Canada a recent screenshot of Paul's luggage sitting in Madrid and asked if Air Canada was still planning on retrieving the bag, but we did not get a response. Some airline industry experts say when it comes to baggage handling, it's often not a priority for the airline. It's not a part of the service strategy of an airline to really make sure the bag takes the least amount of detours to destination. In Paul Clifford's case, with Air Canada stating it's moving to compensation, he says he's now left feeling frustrated and like his bag, abandoned. And even though Air Canada told us Paul's claim is currently being processed and it would be following up directly with him, Paul says he has yet to hear from Air Canada. Okay, so if I'm hearing this right, they, he he has a, a picture showing that this bag is alive and not maybe not well, but out there and where it is and no one's just going to go get it and send it back? Seems to be the case, Loren. It's so all- they, Yeah, like so the, the missing item has been found. But we're not going to bring the missing item back to him. We're going to pay him for whatever might be in that bag instead. It sounds as though it's almost easier for the airlines just to start writing checks for missing luggage because they know some people, it's sort of like insurance. They know that in your group plan, some of you will use all your benefits. Some of you will use none. And so it's just easier to write a check for something from people that that keep asking, where is my stuff? And even when this this passenger, these passengers say, we know exactly where the bag is. They can't be bothered. That's bothersome. That that's where I'm 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 annoyed. It's one thing to lose it. It's one another thing to lose it for months. It's another thing to have to call four thousand times or whatever it is to get the answers. But to now have the answer and no one's going to follow through, that's infuriating. Mm-hmm. And then the other question I had with this technology, and I don't know if you guys know this or if you use it. I've never used it before. <coughs> Excuse me. If you um is it possible if you could be sitting in the airport and see that your bag has gotten on a plane and is like somewhere else yes. while you're sitting there. And then you could go to the airline right away and say, excuse me, it appears to be on an international flight and I'm just flying domestically like and stop it before it happens. Is that a thing? You can, you can see it in some specificity with regard to location. I have one on my wallet okay, because I just got sick and tired of losing my wallet. 
and leaving my house without it. Uh, this is not very helpful because if I leave my house without my wallet, it doesn't tell me that I've done so. It only tells me if I've left it behind somewhere other than my home. Uh, but it counts on other pieces of technology around it. And those uh, those pieces of technology being on in order to locate it. So once it's under the plane, it's pretty tough. But if it's under the plane and it hasn't taken off yet and people are using their cell phones, okay. their Apple products, then, you know, if if you're if it's on the wrong plane, you might be able to figure that out because it like it tells me like right to the room of my house where it is. And I can play a little tone on it, too. It'll it'll scream at me. Um, when I'm trying to find it. Really? Yeah, I need one of these on my remote control. <laughs> All the remote uh, controls in my house need these. And glasses? Uh-huh. And just the cell phone? Uh-huh. The children can maybe use one? We could just put it on a lot lots of, of people. Lots of people putting these eye tags in their kids' backpacks. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even know those were, those were a thing. Tell us a story about tobogganing, and we've had a lot of fun stories, but we have also received a whole bunch of stories that remind you and remind us it's dangerous. Adam, for example, says six years ago, tobogganing with the grandkids at Kimberly Hill, my mom crashed into the fence on the toboggan, saving the grandkids, but not herself. She ended up with a hematoma on her hip that lasted for two years. It ended up having to be... Like, she had surgery for it to remove all the damaged tissue. She was in her 60s, and he says, uh, hey, we still all went tobogganing as recent as the Christmas break. But uh, that's just one injury story. Some of the injuries it's, in here, Loren, are nuts. Excuse my ignorance. A hematoma would be like a like a lump that forms from the bruise? or Yeah, he says that it had to be cut open and drained. Oh, boy. Yeah. Not good. I'll use that as an excuse. I'll do one run, kids. But I do not want a hematoma, so we're staying at the top of the hill. I hope you're prepared to explain what that hematoma is. <laughs> and then what's and then I see is Rick can having having to contend with barbed wire. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is great. There's barbed wire involved, and their answer is not to stop playing in this area. We'll just cut the top wire off. <laughs> Rick says, I grew up in the country south of Morden near the U.S. border. I attended one-room school from kindergarten to grade six. Winter fun at recess always included skiing and tobogganing as our school was located on the escarpment. Unfortunately, our ski run and the toboggan run were the same track. We slid among the trees with a turn at the bottom of the run opening up to a wide open field. At this turn was a big tree, which presented some problems navigating this somewhat dangerous course. Also, there was barbed wired fence in, uh, at this tree. We let, we took the, the top strand of wire off and ducked under it. <laughs> I switched from skiing to tobogganing as I took my first run. I quickly realized I might be in trouble. As you know, skis leave an interesting track with two grooves and a hump in the middle. This track made by toboggan teeter left to right on this hump created by the skis. As I approached the turn at the end of the run, teeter to the right. Yes, directly into this massive oak tree. I was riding on my knees. So the collision with the tree created massive bruises on both my legs from my knees to, shall we say, my groin area. Good thing I had no broken bones, and I also avoided the top wire. Wow. you got to be kidding me. You know what's crazy about some of these stories is that you know you can get off the toboggan, right? Like you're not strapped to it, and yet people just <laughs> seem to just, here it's going to happen. I'm about to hit this. Like instead of abandoning ship, 
They just go down with it. I went well, and I wonder too. Then if you the if you how hurt you could get if you do abandon ship. Like if you wait, if you start rolling, or maybe someone maybe you abandon ship into. <laughs> the path of someone else who's sure. coming down the, the hill like a missile? Yeah, well, as uh, Jeff called it uh, earlier this morning, a heat-seeking missile. Yeah. It's almost as though those kids on the toboggans, when you get off and you're trying to dodge them, they're not really steering into you, but inevitably another toboggan or sledder will find their way <laughs> into your ankles or into your knees. And I confess, I re- I'm rereading Rick's test here, text here. They left the top wire of Bob yes. wire and ducked under it. That was what was safe. That that was that was the safe move. Oh boy. Good lord. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We are going to tee up in just a moment. A big, important day happening on 680 CJOB next week. But before that, uh, one of the things we've been talking about this morning is more travel woes, particularly as it comes to luggage. Instead of following someone home to Canada from Mexico, the luggage ended up in Spain. That's the story at globalnews.ca. Joanne, the luggage lady, as she describes herself, has uh, some feedback, Greg. Yeah, Joanne communicates with us regularly on the text line, and she says we're very busy these days trying to deliver the huge backlog of bags here in Winnipeg. So if you come back to Winnipeg and your bag doesn't come with you, Joanne brings it to your house, whether it's the next day or many days later. And Joanne says in most cases, the bags eventually do show up. In one case, I know of 86 days after they lost last saw it at check-in. Air tags do work. I've been tracked many times by bags I'm delivering, but the problems is the airlines can only find the bags if their tags are still attached and it is scanned either automatically at the airport or man- manually by an agent. The agents are doing their very best to process the delayed bags as quickly as possible, and we are doing our best to deliver them as quickly and efficiently as we can. Joanne says, just arrived at YWG to pick up another load of bags. So have a great day. Right on, Joanne. Excellent feedback. Thank you very much for sharing, and thanks for getting those bags back to their owners. In the meantime, one week tomorrow, January 20th, we invite you to join us for the 2023 Innovation HSC Radiothon presented by Merrick Holmes. Yeah, we hope you will join us for a day of stories from grateful and passionate Manitobans who, like so many of us, have received exceptional care at HSC Winnipeg. We're broadcasting live from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. right here on 680 CJOB. Special segments from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. with our friends down the hall, Power 97 and Peggy 991, Loren. This morning, we're introducing you to someone who started working at Health Sciences Center in high school back in 1985, and he has been working at HSC in various roles for 37 and a half years. We say good morning to Jim Harrison, who's with the Critical Equipment Specialist Medical Intensive Care Unit at HSC. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. I think I have to ask this first. They're almost 38 years with one employer. Why? The work's obviously special, but could you maybe tell us why? You know what? There's... um it, it started as a summer job, and it just seemed like a good idea working in, you know, working in a kitchen in high school. And then you, you kind of get in and realize what we do, what they do for people. And there's so many career options. And especially back in the day, they did a lot of internal training. And you get in there and you realize, hey, there's more to this. And you realize there's so many, you know, opportunities for you um, in healthcare and a lot of different occupations that you probably never knew existed. Hey, Jim, it's Greg Mackling here. How are you doing, friend? 
I am good, Greg. <laughs> Jim's a graduate of Daniel Mack, same year as I uh, graduated from DMCI. So Jim and I have known each other for almost 40 years now. And uh, it says here, yeah, it's crazy when you say it out loud. It says here that your current position was particularly critical during the pandemic. Tell us what you've been doing in the MICU. Yeah, I uh, I made a choice to accept this position just uh, in May, uh, just after the pandemic had started. And um, let me tell you, it was it was an eye opener. It was um, the first thing I got to say is what an amazing group of people. Um, I know we're talking about the foundation, but a quick Blairbun, the medical ICU staff are amazing. This is a group that I knew within a couple of weeks I wanted to stay. I was initially hired in a term, and my first thought was, how do I stay here? These people are amazing. Um, they just you. You, you, I struggle for words to tell you how, uh, to, for what people have done to, uh, to get through their days at times. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Now, Jim, there are always advances in technology and equipment for practitioners. And we know the foundation does a lot in helping get that tech into the hospital sooner than it might otherwise. So can you tell us about the advantages of a tilting chair for patients in the MICU? Oh, absolutely. Um, sometimes you, you can't always, it's, let's face it, when you're in the ICU, you're usually not up and roaming about. Um, so sometimes to get a patient into a chair, you have to use like a, a mechanical lift to assist them into, uh, into the chair. And the nice thing about these, these chairs is that they, they are so flexible. They're, they're kind of part armchair, part stretcher, part exam table. Um, so they allow you to, to transfer a patient into it. And then find a more comfortable position for them. Get them sitting upright to help them, um, to help them with their breathing, to help them clear their lungs. Um, sometimes it's just that the psychological benefit of just getting out of bed. You've been stuck in this bed for so long, you're, you just don't want to sit in bed anymore. And when you can sit up and you can be better positioned so that you're comfortable and that, you know, and it is the ICU, so there tends to be a lot of equipment that, that comes along with the care. So you can manage the equipment better. The patient can can be put in a more comfortable uh, seating position, and also to help to transition to say to a wheelchair or then to to mobilizing from the chair after you get accustomed to being more upright for a longer period of time. So this tilting chair is an example of HSE Foundation's support of the ICU. This tilting chair, obviously, you've outlined how it provides so many benefits. And and sure, we are here to talk about the foundation, Jim, but the foundation supports the people, whether it be patients or staff. And and I'm fascinated to hear about how you you get into the MICU and wanted to stay there as an employee, because when people end up in in intensive care, that's when they're really in trouble, right? There can be some really traumatic experiences that lead them to get there. And yet there you are saying it's such a gratifying place to work. I think that's incredible. Well, it, that is the best part because all the staff here made a conscious choice to, to continue their education to work in this environment. They're here truly because they want to. You know, sometimes people in life, you take a job because of what's available, knowing that, well, in time, you'll, you'll gravitate to something that maybe is more of a, of a fit. This is a, a group of staff who made a choice. They want to be a, a critical care uh, nurse or they want to work as a, as in support staff in a critical care environment. And knowing that comes with additional pressures, but you know, but the the opportunity to provide care in a in a you know in a different environment sounds rewarding, Jim. It it, it is. It's like I said. It, it the 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 equipment gives people just better tools to to um, to provide the care with, and even something you know, some would say, oh, it's just a chair. No, it isn't. It's the ability to get a patient up out of bed sooner. 
it gives the staff ability to provide that that next level of a care that um, that we don't always have the opportunity for without these donations. Jim Harrison, Critical Equipment Specialist, Medical Intensive Care Unit at HSC, joining us this morning to tee up next week's Radiothon. Jim, great to catch up with you, partner. Be well. well. Thank you so much. We're asking you for your tobogganing stories today because at 7.35 for a small town salute, we visited with the Valley View Bible Camp, which has a tubing hill, which looks super fun. And we're, so we're getting your toboggan stories today. Uh, Trev, for example, says, I grew up where it was very flat, even by Manitoba standards. So we had to improvise. My buddy and I would toboggan behind the snowmobile. But a normal toboggan would not do. We'd tie just about anything that would slide behind the old snowmobile. <laughs> Our absolute favorite was the lid from a 45-gallon barrel. <laughs> so much fun, unless you let the front edge catch. Uh, the old wood water skis, on the other hand, not so successful. I think of those stupid things every morning when my knees <laughs> sound like Rice Krispies. Snap, crackle, pop. Why, why the need for speed? The, the psychology behind it is fascinating. Mick says mid-70s would uh, go to the toboggan slides at Assiniboine Park with friends with our metal toboggans. We go down one immediately behind the other. Nothing like getting run over at the bottom of the slides by the following slide. Yeah, that, that was like the uh, aluminum hockey sticks of toboggans. Yeah, <laughs> they were insane. Yeah, they were fast indeed. I forgot about those as well. Um, this was impossible to, to pick a winner this morning. I, I, I can't keep up with the stories. They're so good. They're so good. Thank you for that. But just Jude Loren is our winner today. Well, you're going to say, oh, of course Loren picked Jude because it comes from a farm it's a farm story but no this farm story is incredible jude says my sister and i decided to harness up our steer to pull us on our makeshift toboggan we spent hours braiding baler twine into ropes which we formed into a harness once a month dad and mom went to brandon to get supplies as they drove away my sister and i <coughs> excuse me headed to the barn we hurriedly got our chores done leaving the steer in the barn and we put a halter over his head and led him into the alleyway my sister placed the harness in the steer. Wow, it fit. She attached the toboggan to the harness and jumped on. Open the door, she calls out. I released the steer and opened the door. Not wanting to be left behind, I ran past it and jumped on behind her. Nothing. The steer looked around, not knowing what was expected of him. Just stood there until my sister reached out and slapped him on his backside. The stampede was instant. Out of the barn, across the yard, onto the frozen lake, full tilt. They say every plan has a flaw. Ours was no steering or brakes. We may have ended up in Saskatchewan if the steer didn't make a big U-turn heading back to the barn full bar. Boar. We bailed out just in time. A loud clatter could be heard as forks and pails being knocked over and then silence. We got up, wiped the snow from our faces. Gingerly, we walked and peered into the barn. What a mess, Jude says. But standing in his stall with the toboggan laying upside down behind him was the steer unscathed. <laughs> we hurriedly pulled the harness off the steer, threw it in the burning barrel, turned the steer out, cleaned up the alleyway. Great, nothing broken. At supper that night, all was quiet until Dad asked, Who made the tracks on the lake? <laughs> we were raised by reward and punishment, said Jude. Let's just say there were no rewards given out that night. <laughs> Jude, thank oh. Incredible story, just wow. an incredible Who made story, the tracks? and so creative, like to to come up with the the, the harness for the steer. 
would have got away with it too if it wasn't for that those pesky tracks. <laughs> <laughs> so Jude's going to the Winnipeg renovation so show. We got a four pack of passes for Jude. Tonight, the Winnipeg Jets are back on the ice. It's game two of a three-game road trip. The Jets are in Buffalo to face the Sabres. Our coverage gets underway at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Puck drop just after 6 o'clock on your radio home of the Winnipeg Jets. 680 CJOB. Jets in Pittsburgh tomorrow night. They saw their five-game winning streak come to an abrupt end in Detroit on Tuesday, Loren. So, of course, at this hour, we like to talk Jets and perhaps some other things with our friend Sarah Oleski of Jets TV. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, guys. How are you three doing? We're good. We've been talking about tobogganing this morning. So before we get into hockey, do you have any, and we've been getting some crazy tobogganing stories. Do you have any harrowing stories from either today or days gone by? Oh, that's a a good question. Um, Not off the top of my head. I'm usually the one that would bail out Mm -hmm. before any uh, harrowing stories would occur. I feel as if... um, yeah, I'd be going down the hill because I used to, I mean, I used to obviously love it as a kid. And then being a mom now, especially with my daughter when she was younger, we used to always go down. But no, I would be the queen of bailing out as soon as I thought that I could see something happening, foreshadowing a little bit. I would uh, do a little a little roll right off the toboggan, but it's always a great time. Yeah, no, I love it, yeah, especially exactly. with the mild weather we've been having. No oh. kidding, right? Lots of opportunities. Uh, we just need more hills, Sarah. We just need more places to, <laughs> to do this. The Jets... Isn't uh, that the story of Manitoba, huh, Greg? <laughs> yeah, 100%. The Jets have uh, lost only one of their past six games. That's good, but... They've given up 11 goals in their past two, not exactly following the blueprint for success as laid out by head coach Rick Bonus at the beginning of the season. What might the Jets be focusing on heading into tonight's game? Well, I think definitely tightening things up. You mentioned the 11 goals, certainly not what they were looking for. They've scored 12, so in terms of what they've been able to produce, offensively be great but no certainly the details and that's a word that I think we've heard Rick Bonus use an awful lot through the first half of the season the details they need to get back to doing it and to tightening things up defensively and you know what as much as you you would never like to see it happen I think it's inevitable that you're going to see a team go through some stretches especially when you think of all of the players that have returned to the lineup in the last week had four players come back in it's not only for a number of them I mean you think about Nikolai Ehlers is the perfect example having been out of the lineup for almost the entire season before he returned that not only is it going to take a little bit for them to get back into the flow of things but it's meant the shuffling of lines as well so players that um, have seen you know whether it be their roles or their line mates change over this last stretch of games as well. So I think it's just going to take a little bit of time for this team to get back into groove. But they, they had their opportunities. It certainly wasn't for a lack of effort. They had their opportunities, especially in that game against Detroit. But when you spot a team a 3 nothing lead in the first, you certainly it is a nonstop um, uphill battle after that. Well, and it's going to be a battle of a week for the Jets because they've got two games and two nights versus Buffalo and then Pittsburgh tomorrow. And it's a decidedly road-heavy schedule for the next two weeks. The Jets have been very good at home. How are they faring away from Canada Life Centre? Well, and that's, it's 
a tale of sides. I mean, they're above 500 when you look at them um, on the road, but certainly their strength has been at Candlelight Center where they're 16 and six on the road. They're 10, eight and one so far this season. So above 500, but certainly when you're looking in the Western conference and you're looking at the central division of road record wise, it's an area that, um, that hasn't been their strength for it. And it's not an easy stretch for them. They're playing eight of nine games of right now, a stretch of eight of nine games on the road. Their only home game in that stretch will be Sunday when Arizona comes to town. But especially you look at these back to backs that they've got tonight and tomorrow mentioned, Buffalo, for so many years, Buffalo has been a team that, you know, has has struggled through um, to be able to produce. And that's not going to be the case. This Buffalo team that the Winnipeg Jets will be facing tonight have lost a couple but are coming off in a really strong December or it. They have scored about this. This is not something that you would have guessed going into this season for it. They have averaged more goals per game than any other team in the league for it. They have the second best power play behind only the Edmonton Oilers. So this will certainly be a challenge for the Jets. And when you look at the stretch that they have going on, so beyond this one, they come home and then they go back out and it's a heavy rotation through the Eastern Conference in Canada, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, it's their longest road trip, you know, through. So there's, there's certainly, there can be benefits to it. We talk about teams being able to bond a little bit on the road. They will face adversity, but we'll get a, a good sense of where the Jets are at when this stretch at the end of January is done. Let's talk about Sam Gagne now. He just joined the Jets in September. I was just telling Greg, I think it was just this week, Greg, where I said he's just one of my favorite players already. I like the way he plays. I think the team seems to want to do things for him. You know, they all seem genuinely excited whenever he has success. He just played as a thousandth NHL game. So I understand there's a way you can tell us about how we can get a sneak peek about what that night was like for him. We can. So this year, as listeners know that we've come up with the runway series which is our behind the scenes series that we're producing um in conjunction with bell mts it it airs on the on the jets broadcast but then you can catch it afterwards on all of our social media channels and on the website and what i love about it is that we're trying to give that behind the scenes glimpse to jets fans we know how passionate obviously fans are regarding this team and how they want to just know anything that they can about players and so we with Sam Gagne's 1,000th game, he and his family were so wonderful. They opened up the doors to us. We were able to go over to their house in the morning. We drove in with Sam. So this is a look at his day, um, unlike anything that we've seen with the Winnipeg Jets before. So I think that fans will absolutely love it. And I agree with you. He is, you know, he's been around, obviously, for um, for so long. But just what his career has been, the ups and downs from being a high first-round pick to – spending time down in the AHL, not a lot of players will spend the time that he has down there and then still be able to come back up, reassert himself, get to that thousand game mark. And he's just, he has been such a great player to deal with this year. And I think that he's been a great addition to the team because although a depth player, he is someone that you can move up and down in the lineup. As we've seen, we've seen him on the power play as well, he's given Rick Bonus and the coaching staff a number of options. I think that he is. A, here's what I love about him too: his appreciation of where he's at and what he's 
able to do and willing to accept any role. I just, he's that type of player that I think that Jets fans just love, that he embodies so many of the values of, of this city. Um, and he, like I said, I think that fans will love this behind the scenes episode and his family. I mean, if you watch his thousandth game, his three kids were absolutely adorable on the <laughs> video and on the ice afterwards. So this is one of my favorite episodes that we've I, been able to do so far. I just want to jump in here, Sarah, and say, actually, at, at I, I don't know if it was the first game of the year, but I was there when he got his first goal as a Jet, and I was actually sitting near his family. I didn't realize until they were holding up signs and whatnot. And here you are, a family that's been around the NHL for years, and they were all just so pumped that Dad had scored this goal. And I thought, like, it was such a genuine family moment. So I'll have to take a look. Where do I go? I can just go to JetsTV.com for that. You absolutely can. It'll be um, it'll be on Twitter as well. It'll be we'll have it on all of our on all of our channels. And you know, for those that haven't been able maybe to catch the other runway episodes, we've had some great ones on you know the Timo and Teppo Hall of Fame, behind the scenes with them as well. It's all on the Winnipeg Jets website on the left hand side. Just scroll on down. Um, but yeah, I think that it's been a it's been a fun addition, and and people should love this one. Yeah, the Teppo Timu one is great because it gives you behind the scenes uh, as they're heading towards the different events when they were here for their Hall of Fame induction. And I got goosebumps because uh, I love both those guys. Uh, like that was our like era. a ton. They, exactly. That's that's when we fell in love with the Jets and and those two guys in particular just embodied so much of professionalism and the, and their their love for Winnipeg to this day is palpable. So uh, that's one series, uh, one one episode of that series. I will absolutely endorse. Not that they're all great, Laura uh, or, or Lauren, uh, Sarah. We have to ask you uh, real quick you just here. Combine names. That I was just impressive. did. Lauren and Sarah. It. Not bad, yeah. eh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Got to ask you about the the uh, the fun that the the players seem to be having this year. It's inevitable. Comparisons will be made between this year and last, based on the records and how things were going. But I get the genuine sense from listening to certain people that there's there is is a change in atmosphere around the team is that fair to say 100 percent. and let's be honest it helps when you're winning <laughs> it doesn't matter what level whether you are whether it's peewees or whether you're up in the pros everything is better when you're winning but there is no doubt that you're able to see this just Guys look like they are having fun when they come to the rink. And we've heard guys say that this season, that when you, they look forward to it and you hear a lot of laughter when you walk into the dressing room. So obviously in previous, the last couple of seasons, we hadn't been in the dressing room, but when you walk in, it's not an empty dressing room, which it sometimes was in years past for it. And you would wait for one player to come out. Guys are much more engaging. They're willing to sit around and talk with you. And I just think that we're seeing more of their personalities come out this year with it. And I think that that's one of the biggest differences that I notice when I get in there. It just seems lighter, for lack of a better term. But guys are, guys are having fun. And you certainly see it on the ice as well, the way that it's been able to translate. But a ton of credit for the players for buying in, but obviously for Rick Bonus and his coaching staff, he has preached family from the first moment that he came in. We are in this together, and that's what you really sense from this. But it isn't about individuals. There aren't fractions room. This is a group that does things together. They win together. 
they lose together, but, and they're having fun together. And I think that, um, yeah, it's definitely noticeable when, when you're around them this season. Sarah Orleski with Jets TV joining us live on 680 CJOB. Sarah, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you guys soon.